0: This is Create the Next from Pro CFO Partners, where every week we explore strategies and ideas for financial management and growth to help today's businesses put their financial picture in context.
1: Chris Benliff back with you again at Create the Next for Pro CFO Partners, and Mike Durney returns to the hot seat, and Mike, today we are talking about highly effective CEOs, or maybe some of those things that CEOs should stop doing that are getting in the way that maybe they're even... Blind to. My question to start us off is, do you have a, like, number one, top, first, big thing you see again and again and again that CEOs should stop doing?
2: Uh, I Well, micromanaging is probably the first. Uh, I'd start, though, with uh, as CEOs become more experienced and their uh, businesses grow, hiring really good people is number one. So that's the thing they should do as opposed to the first thing they shouldn't do.
1: Which is connected though, right? I mean, are they, are, we, are, are they micromanaging because they don't have faith in the folks around them, that the skill sets of the folks around them, or is it a character flaw that they are micromanaging, wouldn't matter who is in that seat, or do they need to think more practically about, look, we, we need to really find the exact right person and we aren't, we aren't doing that?
2: Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of a few of those things. But one of the things I see is that CEOs who were founders, basically, they were the first person, right? So they did everything. Yeah. And then they hired a handful of people, but not maybe at high levels because the business was still small, and they continued to do a bunch of things. Then you start to hire, fill in positions at senior levels, maybe not with the best people, but even if you have the best people, they tend to continue to be involved in things that they were involved in when the business was much smaller without really giving the rope to their senior team to allow them the opportunity to succeed
1: and the thing is a bucket can only hold so much water so if you keep if you keep adding things to do and adding things to do pretty soon you take your eye off of the things that you are uniquely skilled at maybe vision setting uh, or even inspiration or the sort of leadership business strategic leadership the things that you're good at as a ceo that no one else in the organization is as equally good at and those things start to be neglected do you agree
2: Yes, totally agree. And you're right. I mean, your your use of the term "bucket" can only hold so much water is absolutely right. So you know, when the business is smaller, you have fewer things to do. As the business gets bigger, you have more things to do. It's a broader business, and it needs more of you strategically. So what happens is you end up thinking strategically, which is what you're supposed to do, but you're still involving yourself in a handful of things that you used to do, and you're not allowing the people within your organization to really succeed or, or fail. And then coach them. And so a lot of the organization ends up then waiting for you because they're not really sure whether, are you going to weigh in on this? Or are you going to let me do this? And then unless it's crystal clear, you, you get this kind of stoppage in the process, which can be fatal for
1: businesses. You, you brought up something I think is really interesting and is too often ignored, which is fail. And, and I think we can pull the thread all the way back to the first thing you said, which was micromanaging. And I wonder if CEOs oftentimes are not delegating because they feel like, well, this person won't do it as good as I will do it. Whether that's true or not, that's their perspective. But the idea of failure is valuable. If you, if you kind of fail fast and learn fast, that's how we get better at things. How can CEOs more sort of uh, embrace this culture of we got to try stuff. We got to let, let people fail so that they can learn more quickly.
2: Yeah, I think failing fast and allowing people to fail, you know, the, those are really important. I, I I guess I wouldn't look at it as purely binary success and failure. I think there are things like you can do it well, but you take too much time or you involve too many people. But I think at some level, if you're going to hire the people surrounding you and build on their strengths, you have to let them see it through and you have to create an environment where you're giving people the responsibility and authority. And those two things have to go together. You can't have one without the other responsibility and authority to see something through. So they may fail and they can learn from it. They may fail and you can help teach them something. They may not fail, but may do it less optimally. So I I guess I wouldn't focus so much on the binary of success and failure as much as bring an organization together, let them do what you hired them to do, and then coach them if you want or see opportunities for it to be done differently, faster, smarter, bigger, higher, uh, that, I, would, I would focus on that. I, I think CEOs tend to often, again, if they're founders or grew up in the business, tend to revert to what they're good at or what they've done historically. It can be hard, but I think you have to do it, or else you're going to turn people off to having the authority and having the responsibility and letting them grow.
1: Such great perspective, and I love, I love what you're saying about let's not think so binary that it's an either or. This idea of failure that there's uh, really it's just increments of growth. You know, it's not uh, nobody's going to blow up the company. It's a matter of figuring out how to make things happen. When you look That's at right. your from your place as an expert CFO. What are the financial functions? So now I'm I'm thinking back to the CEO in this founder's place. And one of the things that as a founder, a person is proud of is they're multidisciplined or they're multi-skilled. And some founders are really easy at saying, look, I'm not great at this, so I'm going to find somebody who's good at that. And others are resistant to acknowledging what they're not as great at. What do you see from your seat as a CFO is a consistent issue with this idea of either delegation or... Uh, broadening the mindset on what the CFO does so the CEO is more insulated from some of those tasks
0: create the next is brought to you by pro CFO partners who believe every business deserves to work with an expert CFO to guide its success pro CFO partners are expert financial officers networked across industries verticals specializations and situations fulfilling the role of a part-time CFO with all-time commitment ProCFO Partners utilizes the innovative and exclusive FGC financial flywheel as a framework that creates momentum to drive your financial functions for sustainable success. Visit ProCFOPartners.com to explore how we can implement a systematic and scalable financial system to help you achieve your goal. ProCFOPartners.com
2: So I think a relatively easy one is when you're looking for efficiencies and cost reductions. So whether your business has had a turn in an environment like we're in now where it's not as profitable or you're looking for it to grow and be more profitable and looking to take inefficiencies out, I think often CEOs will go back to either what they're familiar with or elements that in the business they don't directly see. So why do we have this person? Or why are we buying that research? Or why are we investing in that product? I don't really see it. I think a CFO, when charged with the task, can accumulate the options, present them to the CEO, and then the CEO at least has the menu of options, which I'm a big believer in, having a menu, Hmm. and can then ask questions and weigh in. And I think that's one of the places where CEOs tend to act or think based on what they've seen or what they can touch, as opposed to getting the input from a CFO across a broad spectrum. So, if we want to create profitability at a 30% margin level versus 25% margin level, here are options that add up to 10 or 15%. We're not going to do all of them, but here are the options ask away, weigh in, not, well, I'd like to go from Uh, a margin of 25 to 30. And I don't know why this person does this or why we buy this piece of research. Let's get rid of it. That, that I think is a common
1: one. It's interesting. And it taps a little bit into the, um, the old, the old notion that I think we're all impatient to change, which is the function of the CFO, you know, minimizing their role or minimizing their function in our, in, a, in the heads of leaders so that we're not looking at them for the strategic leadership that they have. Because part of what you're sharing for me is kind of, it's not just delegating what you would normally be doing, CEO, but giving it to somebody who can do it so much better and in so many more ways and with so much more experience so that kind of one plus one equals three. Do you find that that's true, that there's a an opportunity to broaden the whole notion, it isn't sure, I'll do those things you were doing. It's I'm gonna do things you never even dreamed of doing because that's what I do, so that you can go do the thing that you do. For sure,
2: for sure. And I think you know, CFOs have different places in different organizations, but one thing they tend to do is touch all elements of the organization because just think back to the basis basic level of approvals and disbursements and cash collections and getting involved with hiring and approving. Um, compensation packages for individuals, you know, all those sit within HR or operations or marketing or sales leadership, but the CFO tends to get involved and should get involved more broadly. And so you have this asset who just by the nature of the position, forget about the individual themselves, just by the nature of the position, touches all elements of the business. So that person has a somewhat dispassionate view Mm. of things that could be opportunities where the individual parts of the organization, you know, th- there's been a natural tendency to be territorial and it's human nature is you, you want to protect your part of the organization and demonstrate your value and you can continue to do that. But the CFO spans each of those disciplines.
1: What a great perspective that is from that CEO's perspective, especially if I'm a founder to have somebody with a dispassionate view to help shape guide strategy and perspective, I would think, I mean, that's a gift. That's essential to have somebody like that on the team who can be a little more pragmatic about things.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I was a CFO of a company for 13 years and then became the CEO Um and I tried as hard as I could to stay out of the CFO's way because I, I do believe you know human nature is you tend to gravitate towards what you're comfortable with. So I tried really hard to say, look, CFO, you have a broad range of opportunities to have influence on this organization. Go at it. I'll work with you. I'll support you. I'll challenge you. But I'm not going to get involved in the things that that you're involved in. And I think the same thing would be true whether the person came up through sales or came up through marketing, came up through operations or technology, which is more and more common uh, today, given the significance of technology. So, you know, the, the CEO recognizing uh, the strengths of the people that they brought in, which is how we started this, this conversation, is paramount to success.
1: We've talked a lot today from a perspective of, I think, the CEO who has built a company around them or has many people or who, you know, has the benefit of micromanaging a team benefit. What about the brand new CEO? Somebody who is either in a new organization or is founding a new organization and has a vision and doesn't want to get this wrong. (coughs) Excuse me. Or the person who is new to the role. And as they started to kind of take command of these responsibilities wants to jump off to the right start. What's some advice you have for me as a brand new CEO?
2: So one is talent evaluation is incredibly important. So do what you can to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the people you're inheriting when you move into an organization. Try to, you know, give it time, but act fast because Mm -hmm. having the right people around you is incredibly important. And, And part of the right people around you is Making sure you play to your strengths and your weaknesses, and everybody's got strengths and weaknesses. So, the previous CEO may have had different disciplines in their background than you have as the new CEO. So, understand kind of how the organization was built with the previous CEO's structure, strengths, and weaknesses in mind, and make sure you focus on building your understanding of the strengths and weaknesses of what you're inheriting and make change where where you think you need to. Not because people aren't good or bad, just you're, you're building an organization uh, that supports you as the new CEO. The other is to establish KPIs that are important to the business, listen to customers, listen to employees, and determine what's really important and measure them.
1: Mike Durney from Pro CFO Partners, thanks so much for spending some time with us this morning. I love the actionable, tactical, kind of practical stuff that I can start to do right now or think about right now as a CEO. That's really valuable for me to get out of my own head. Thanks for giving us some really great advice today. Can't wait to have you back, and we'll pick it up again another time. Great, Chris. Good to be with you. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to our subscribers. Consider becoming one today. Visit ProCFOPartners.com and learn how we can help you build a framework for financial management and growth.